Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 223, as well as a load of Qatar, apologies for the sound of my voice, is community member, listener, and occasional blog contributor, David Rush. Hi, Leon. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. You're very welcome. And, uh, and a happy birthday at the time of recording, too. Thank you very much. 21 again. Yeah, sure. Sure you are, just like all of our demographic of listeners. Absolutely. I actually have no idea how old you are, but I'm going to guess 30-something? You would be correct. I am 36. There we go. Yeah, so I'd say that puts you in around about the median of our listeners. Yes. Uh, we're not down with the cool kids, and we do have a few. Uh, I know we've even got some uh, forum posters who have said that they're in their 60s and stuff, which is fantastic. Wow. Hopefully I'll be there. Uh, in a few years' Ditto. time, yep. And uh, but yes, I think we, I think thirty something is probably our, our sort of average. And the team ranges from, uh, I think Jacob is now the youngest Kane and Rince team member at twenty three, uh, wow. or or thereabouts. And the oldest, of course, uh, well, Chris and Jay, both uh, knocking fifty. Wow. Happy birthday to Jay as well, editing this podcast. Happy birthday, Jay! It is also his birthday. It, he is forty nine today. He won't mind me saying that. Remember, this time next year, we'll send him cash prizes and presents for his food. Indeed. Indeed we will. He loves, it. he loves his birthday. Anyway, hello, David. Uh, you've been a listener for how long to the stuff that we do? Um, I have been a listener for quite some time. Um, how I found Cain of Rince was every year I have this um, annual, I need to go through the Metal Gear Solid series again. And uh-huh. uh, I often will listen to the uh, the YouTube uh, long play sessions, which yep. ineffectively keep me going at work. Um, but every now and again, I'll want to go back and look at you know the games and listen to retrospectives on them. And I think mm. I found the Kane Rinse show around I want to say about four years ago. Okay, um, and I went through your um, very forensic Metal Gear Solid series and became mm. a fan ever since. And then when Sound of Play popped up, I thought this was a really really cool way again to just extend that conversation about video games because um obviously games has become more have become much more cinematic as years have gone on and um one key part of that is is music and how that can impact um your gameplay experience mm. yes and uh oh, as another birthday present to you we didn't mean it to happen this way but we'll uh we'll be releasing tomorrow uh wow. it'll already be out listeners uh, but our Phantom Pain podcast comes out on Monday the 4th of November oh, for wow. Patreons. Fantastic. Patreons, I should say. Uh, for those of you who kindly donate a dollar or more, uh, that will be extended as well. But the Patreon version will be, uh, I think, a good half an hour or more longer than the, the free to air edition. So listeners, it's a good reason. Go and sign up patreon.com slash Uh And we open the show with your first selection of music. Now, I'm going to guess, based on your age, that this must have been something, and also the content of the game, um, was this, is this like a formative gaming and games music memory for you, David? Very much so. Um, the, the picks that I have made uh, tonight are all quite personal at, at different points in my life. Um, this Great. one is very, very important because it was actually the first time that we ever owned a gaming system in the house. Um, Magic times. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, um, previously um, in the age of um, video stores, for those under the age of thirty that are listening, those were places where you used to go to hire a movie. Um, mm-hmm. But a number of um, 
video rental stores started to um, rent out uh, Mega Drives and NES consoles. So the only time that I would have ever had any games to play in the house was usually around birthdays or Christmas. Um, and one Christmas in particular, um, my parents bought us the Amiga A600. Um, yes. Loaded with um, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a, an incredible experience to actually finally own um, a gaming machine in the house and to load up what was then actually my um, favorite uh, TV show. Um, obviously, that has that has not aged very well uh, on repeat. Ah, he was well ahead of his time, I would say, with his environmental message. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in that respect, <laughs> yes. But um, I haven't watched it, so mm, I don't know. Well, I, I do recall one particular episode where Captain Planet and the Planeteers went to um, Belfast to solve oh. the um, the troubles. Ooh. Oh, oh, wow. Is that on YouTube? <laughs> I believe so, yes. And it is, um, it's, it's still cringy, but um, well intended. Every bit as tactful as, it's, as it sounds. So this was, it's an American cartoon. It was, yes. Um, and they decided to tackle the, uh, the very easy to uh, get wrong, you know, the famously um, simple situation between England and Ireland and Northern Ireland. Exactly. Absolutely. Who, who better than five young <laughs> whippersnappers to come in and save the day? Wow. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So as listeners can probably tell from your accent, you're originally from Northern Ireland? Um, from the or Republic, but you just, are from the Republic. just on the border. Just on okay. the border. I know the area quite well because I've been several times in recent years to Donegal and mm-hmm. uh, we, we head to Belfast and then drive across the border, which has been a breeze uh, in the last few years. and. Long may that continue, huh? Indeed, indeed. I, I guess that could be a conversation for another podcast, but mm, uh, yeah. let's let's not go there. Um, <laughs> but you live uh, in England now. I do. I have uh, lived in London uh, actually for nine years at the end of this month. So a lot of um, anniversaries and milestones right. coming up in this November. I see. Sorry, I broke away from your Captain Planet. It was the, the talk of Ireland did it there. Um yeah, Captain Planet. You, you were. It was your favourite cartoon, and it you was. got to play the game at home. I did, I did, and I even owned the Sly Sludge um, toy as well. That's how okay. dedicated and committed I was. I'm to the guessing pla- that's Captain like Planet the toy. that's the chief antagonist. Uh, yes, and um, interestingly enough, it was the only Captain Planet figure that I bought because uh, he was the least popular and therefore he was often on sale. So um, I remember we picked him up and I felt, you know, like I was a proper hardcore fan um, beginning my little collection. But um, <laughs> the um, the track in question, Fire, is um, from uh, the first level in the game, actually. And it is a level that I am very familiar with because I pretty much couldn't get further than that my sister was much better Mm. at the game than i was um Mm -hmm. but i remember playing this level over and over again showing anybody that was remotely interested in this device how incredibly skillful i was at protecting the ozone layer and strangely enough saving polar bears due for the south pole um on clouds in the sky so that's the sort of early 90s platformer video game kind of thing you could expect yes yeah. So I, this this game was uh, I should say it's written by a guy called Tony Crowther who'd already 
become quite famous for his uh, 8-bit computer game works. And this was actually a bit of a departure. He'd made these uh, very sort of in-depth, uh, as well as some, you know, quite, you know, simple fun stuff. Uh, Potty Pigeon, I think, was one of his first. But he also made some very in-depth uh, role-playing type games, first-person stuff and all this kind of thing. So this was uh, this was a slight surprise that he was uh, making. But I guess it, it's uh, it's what paid the bills. Mm-hmm. We've all been there. Yes, for sure. And the music here, although there were multiple versions of this game, the Amiga version specifically had music by uh, Ben Daglish, who we sadly lost just over a year ago. Uh, passed away in October 2018. Um, and I want to know, was your sister just uh, more gifted than you or older? Um, Both. <laughs> both. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, she was definitely more skillful than I was. Um. I think if I remember correctly, there were, I think there were five, six, five or six levels. And then you would get to play as Captain Planet. Um, and my expertise was limited to level one only. Um, and my sister could get us to level four, um, but no further. Yeah. It was probably stupidly hard, like a lot of these games it were. It was ridiculously hard. And um mm. But, oh, well, I mean, it was ridiculously hard for, for me being a terrible player back in the day. I mean, although I wouldn't like to take up the challenge to play it again, now, I probably would embarrass I was myself. say, have you, have you been back to an emulation? Um, no, no. Sadly, I, I like my save points and my auto saves and my endless myriad <laughs> of lives perhaps too much. They were, uh, perhaps they were cheat codes. I don't know. The only thing that I could remember really about the game that stuck in my head uh, or, or that piece of music was, um, it, to me, it, it it's very upbeat and in in some ways it kind of is synonymous with what uh, i would have deemed to be like a, almost like a perfect video game piece of music at that time as you as you pointed out about the interesting kind of two-dimensional platform level design and the mechanics of that um but the game seemed to work very well with that and uh, whether or not it was intentional um when i was listening back to the track I picked up a lot of uh, what I thought was um, influence from Harold Faltmeyer, who has yeah. has done you know the Axel uh, F and the Beverly Hills yes. Sound Contract and and um, legendary synth. exactly. So there's a lot of like little subtle nods and winks to that, which you know there's a at one point in the in the song question is an, an incredible um, keyboard solo, which mm. um, yeah. is is worth listening to. Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoyed it, listener. As always. We'll be interspersing David's picks with some selections of yours, the community, the rest of the community, I should say. And these are requests that we've had in on the forum. You can also request them on social media and whatever. But the main place, if you head over to canorince.com slash forum and find the music sort of area, the folder, you can make picks in there. And this one came from Colin Alonso, who says, Arc version one plays during the level Ishra's Arc. I'm going to tell you the game in a minute a suitably calm yet mysterious track for a level set on an abandoned ancient ship also of note are the wind effects in the track included to emphasize the gargantuan size of the ship as you climb up and down it through the level yes this is actually from the sequel i've never played this was ps2 only clonoa 2 lunatia's veil and a lot of composers worked on this track or on this soundtrack. I don't actually know about this individual track, uh, but uh, it's a lovely one anyway. So do enjoy Arc version one.
That's from Klonoa to Unatia's Veil. Vale. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I suppose that was, yeah, it was 10 years after Captain Planet. Um, did you pursue the, the, the cartoony platformers or did you, move, did you find yourself moving off into, uh, into more serious gaming matters? I did for a period of time. I remember I had, a, I, had um, I played Zool 1 and 2, I believe. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. one other game that sticks out in my head was a game called uh, Globduel which was Globduel. a mm. very weird pink amorphous blob. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I have no idea. We, it wasn't a case of we, my sister and I, who, who played the Amiga um, quite extensively in our youth, uh, would, have be, would have been avid uh, readers of you know, reviews. I think we just saw it. It looked interesting and we gave it a try. Yeah. But eventually mm-hmm. I moved into you know, Cannon Fodder, Sensible World of Soccer, um, and in particular, Premier, I think was it Premier Premier League Manager, Premier uh, Manager, Premier uh, Manager, Gremlin Graphics series. Yes. Yeah, they did three of those. Which they were, did. They were all quite similar, but they had a little upgrades and tweaks each time. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and I, I can't remember which version it was. Um, whether it was which which one of the three it was, but I, I do recall getting um, Halifax Town to the quarterfinals of the League Cup, only to um, be put up oh. by um, Aston Villa, um, yeah. but. Too bad, indeed. <laughs> uh, Arc version one there. We like to credit to the composers, even if it's difficult and I'll mangle the names, but uh, Kanako Kaniko, Eriko Imura, Asuka Sakai, Yuji uh, Masubuchi, Katsuro Tajima, Go Shina, who we've heard from many times before, Hiromi Shibano and Kota Takahashi. Namco have always done that, uh, or, well, I say always, certainly since the sort of CD era of music and beyond most of their soundtracks, whether it's Tekken or Ridge Racer or uh, whichever, any of their other franchises, they tend to involve multiple composers for each game. Uh, and one such series where that's the case is the Ridge Racer series. And your next pick is this much-loved opening to a much-loved loved, uh, entry into the Ridge Racer series. So you'd have been uh, yeah, a few years older now. A few years older, yes. Um this uh, was the again in a similar way to Captain Planet being my my first game um, on any form of gaming system. Um, yeah, I had for years wanted to get the PlayStation, and after some successful school results, I uh, was finally permitted to get one. And a late adopter, a late adopter, a very late adopter. I think nineteen ninety nine. I want to say. Yep, sounds um, about right. So I picked up the PlayStation, and it had had just been launched with the um with the analog sticks and yep. it was bundled in with uh apescape ridge racer type 4 and abe's exodus i believe yeah and cool. um the first game that i played was ridge racer type 4 and right. obviously th- that song is a fantastic piece of work as is the opening cgi which mm. i think i watched on a loop because i was Utterly astounded yeah. at the leap forward in what was possible in games because my stock up until that point had been Amiga and then PC for a very short time and then to be blown away by this at the at the time ultra realistic representation mm. of you know motor vehicles and humans. And, and humans the, <laughs> yeah. the mysterious girl walking to Mist Lake breaking her heel um, yeah. you know it, yeah it was um, yeah I mean. Obviously, the music was was one reason why I watched it again and again. Um, mm. um, she may have had a slight influence as well. <laughs> uh, informative years exactly. as, a, as a young boy. Indeed. Um, yeah, 
it was uh it was it the the whole sort of cgi intro thing is kind of not really a thing anymore in the same way obviously renders are used to promote games still for sure but you don't there's there's no real sense that when you fire up a game you're going to get any kind of uh attract mode as such anymore you normally get some games have a little loop of some kind but generally you get a title screen you get some menus and then the kind of the the exciting stuff happens once you actually start playing whether it's a, a sort of interactive cinematic beginning or whatever so and and it is again it's um for those who weren't around at the time i guess it's I I had even I was like twenty one to something when I got my uh, twenty three I think when I got my PlayStation one and firing up Tekken for the first time with uh, with what was a comically simplistic CGI intro compared to this one that would arrive just a few years down the line but it was I didn't even really understand at that point even as a young man that what I was seeing here was effectively something that had been put together on a completely different and much more powerful set of systems and then played back as a video codec it felt to me like my console was playing these graphics do you know what i mean exactly yeah. i think it was a very um a very clever trick played, yeah um, kind, kind of was really yeah anyway urban fragments is the name of the track and tracer type 4 was the name of the game Kuta Takahashi managed to track down the actual composer for that one track from that uh, soundtrack, which is uh, much loved. Ridge Racer Type 4, I have a slightly strange relationship with in that I absolutely adored the three predecessors on the PS1 that came before it. I played Ridge Racer, the original, and Revolution to absolute death, did everything on them, unlocked every car. And uh, Rage Racer, I also just thought was awesomely cool. Type 4, I just didn't enjoy the game as much. I found it, they, they'd really softened the difficulty a lot. It was like, it was very easy to play through the championship and 
you also had to play through that championship over and over again and deliberately finish second and third to unlock different cars. So <laughs> I was always like, this is a bit bland. Um, but I know a lot of people really dug that audio visual side, the sort of general aesthetic and the vibe of the game. Indeed, yeah. I think that is one memory that uh, sticks with me, that yellow theme that yes. runs throughout the game and in particular the the choice of font is mm. something that you know still sticks with me to this day and and like going back to the original um uh, introductory video and obviously the song that plays i think that soundtrack has stuck with me ever since and i've found myself over the years going back to it and listening to it whether it's to assist me in studying or keeping me motivated at work or i've actually found it incredibly um, powerful when i'm cycling home in the evenings right yeah you would see the twilight start to kick in and the tail lights of the cars begin to become much more prominent mm. and when mm. i'm cycling back and listening to that music and seeing these visuals again i'm transported back to that moment when i played my first night level or twilight level on the game and watching those um the the replays of the action unfold and seeing the taillights uh, kind of follow the Street. car yeah. yeah and 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 like CGI introductory mind blowingness aside it was yeah. those little details that yeah really really made me think wow this is an incredible piece of of gaming technology here we have yeah. in our hands and definitely a great way to remember my my childhood um, this song <laughs> and this game in particular. Namco have really been a, always been a studio that pushed things technically, even going back to their early arcade games. Uh, they made they sort of made games that effectively worked in the, the same way as, uh, you know, sp they, they did a lot of sprite scaling and mode seven type stuff before it was uh, really popular. And they really pushed the boat out on the PS1 with, with what they were doing on a home system with polygons. They've recent relative in recent times, relatively recent times, they've made uh, really well overall very well received and regarded uh, follow-ups to their two of their staple fighting game series in uh, Tekken 7 and Soul Calibur 6 but yet still since Ridge Racer 7 that's that's the series like that's where we're at there's no Ridge Racer and uh, there was the there was the not in-house game where they slapped the Ridge Racer badge on which was Ridge Racer Unbounded and even that was about eight years ago now or something um, I'm not really sure. I don't really understand what's happened with arcade racers and why they're not popular or they're, or they're not a thing. Have you got any theories on that? I'm not really sure because um, in a generation and even going back to the previous generation where we would have seen a number of games, <clears throat> well, certainly given the HD treatment, but yeah. we've seen a number of games from PlayStation 1 era, Medieval, the most recent example, which have been right. rebuilt from the ground up. Um, Ridge Racer 4, to me anyway, seems like a game that's perfectly primed and ready for a remake. Um, mm. And definitely um, definitely a tweak to the difficulty because I, I do remember feeling that I was an, an amazing drifter in that game. But <laughs> my, um, my experience in the Ridge Racer series is sadly limited only to that game. So I don't have right. anything else to compare it to. But uh, everything even, like from the aesthetics to the music, um, it, they wouldn't really have to do too much to to make that playable again. But I guess mm. how monetizable it is in an era where mm. we have, you know, so many things that are happening outside of the base game that you buy, uh, whether yeah. or not they they see a, a way to keep people spending and coming back. Um, buy the cars. Don't win them, buy them. 
Exactly. Uh, don't don't I mean, finish second or third. <laughs> Forza Horizon, to be fair, splits its cars that you unlock between you can you can unlock more cars than you could ever possibly want or use but there are still more to buy for instance in uh, in the store if you need them i suppose that's one way to do it but yeah it's it just seems a weird time you get there's there's a fair few sort of 80s throwback style arcade racers come out in recent times uh and the spiritual successor to burnout that uh, got a moderate reception but at the time of recording, there's a need, there's a new Need for Speed coming out in a, like a week or two or something, and no one's no one's talking about it, and they're not promoting it. It's like it, well, they don't seem to be anyway. It's a, it's weird. I don't quite get it. No, I think Who the knows? unfortunate thing of recent Need for Speed games is they've had a, a bad rap. Mm. So maybe yeah. a under the radar release could be good. Yeah, can you know go against expectations or something rather than them going this is going to be amazing and then it isn't. So yeah. Exactly, because yeah. everything's behind a peer wall. What I will say is that when I go to Arcade Club in Bury, the racing cabs are still some of the most popular and occupied throughout the, every day I've been there. Um, so I think there's still a, an appetite and a market for Arcade Star Racers. Definitely. Anyway, from Arcade Star Racers to, well, some, something that I've never played and I don't even really understand. I just thought it was a cool tune. We haven't even got any words to go with the request, but you don't always have to. This is from a request by Brutal Deluxe 9 who I believe is our very own Darren Gargett's brother. Who knows if he'll be listening anymore. This request was made a while ago, but regardless, perhaps Darren will tell him. This is from Nidog. I believe that's how you say it, rather than Nidhog. Uh, that's how everyone wants to say it. Nidog, I'm going to say. And this is number one.
by Mux Tool. That was from the Nidug 2 soundtrack, number one. You can play Nidug 2, <laughs> the more I say it, the weirder it sounds, on PC, Mac, PS4 and Switch. I remember Darren playing some of the original on our, it's still up on our YouTube channel where he was taking on some random guys. And it's this weird kind of platforming fencing game. Mm. Um, but I've never played it myself. You played any no. Nidug? No, I haven't. I haven't, sadly. Not to worry. Yeah, and the second one's got this very peculiar aesthetic, uh, particularly visually. But uh, yeah, and uh, and a bunch of weird music. And that was that. So we enjoyed it. Now, next pick from my guest, David, is a piece from a game that, uh, well, you wrote about GTA 4 for us uh, back a few years ago. I can't even remember what year it was. 2018, only last year. And you were talking about trying to play it again uh so yes. yeah tell tell the listeners of sound of play your history with gta and why the, you've ended up picking this song for sound of play again going back to the other pieces i've picked again picks up on a, a a small kind of personal moment in my life uh when i got gta 4 that was the very first and only time i have ever gone to a midnight launch yes. and i remember um it's now closed um, the game store that I, I happened to go to. Um, and I queued up for ages with everybody else, a very enthusiastic crowd, got my copy of the game, um, managed to negotiate a strategy guide for free, which at the time, because I had placed a pre-order, I had received a text message to um, to pick up a copy of it. But I didn't realize that I had to actually reply, like, yes, I'd like a copy. Long story short, I managed to get one after about 40 minutes talking to the manager. And I got back home and I played the game, I think at about 1.30 in the morning. Um, I booked the day off work the following day and I played it. And straight away, I felt that I was transported into Liberty City with this fantastic um, alteration of the Soviet connection theme that plays during the pre-titles uh, sequence. Mm. Um, mm. The one difference being you have this kind of little... Um, kind of flurry of I think it's like a keyboard uh, that plays just kind of in the background constantly and it's mm. um very evocative the way in which that it kind of begins to well draw my mind to the lifestyle that you would end up uh, pursuing in Liberty City fast mm. cars fast women nightclubs etc I, I thought it was a very very clever way to kind of bring the player into the game um and yeah when I originally played the game, after all that hype and waiting to play it, um, I was very, very underwhelmed. Um, but yet, my big takeaway from it was that piece of music. Uh, and I played it to completion upon release. I didn't touch it again for another 10 years, partly inspired by your uh, Kane and Rince GTA 4 episode. Oh, yeah. And listening to, I think one of the comments that was made was, about the sound engineers and how they were trying to capture the sound and effectively of of New York City, which Liberty City is is based on. Yeah. Um, and how you would walk down the street and you would hear music kind of emanating from a, a closed window of a car. Um. So I thought I'd give it another try. And when I went back and played it, having played GTA Five not that long before, um, I kind of my appreciation for that game was um reevaluated and I, and I actually saw it for the incredible title that it was and a benchmark title in many ways in terms of open world design um narrative storytelling 
sound design, use of soundtrack, and um, my love for that game is is a lot stronger now. And it's a shame in many ways that um, I still jump on it every now and again. The, the PS3 servers, um, certainly the last time I w- was on, are still live, but there's no community to play it in. And that's one right. sad thing because there's a lot of uh, fun online activities that could have happened. Yeah. But um, I'm sadly a little bit too late to the party. I developed my love for it too late. Oh, well, better late than never. Better late than never, exactly. The loading screen theme, it's simply called, which, uh, as David says, is a sort of variant of the uh, the Soviet connection. Uh, and it's by Michael Hunter. Grand Theft Auto 4. If you go to our website, canorince.com, and you go to the search box and search Grand Theft Auto 4, you'll get our podcast come up, issue 75, and you'll also get David's piece on, well, revisiting the game 10 years on from from the original. Have you considered, I don't know if you've seen, uh, I don't know if you have any, uh, if you have a, a, a games capable PC or whatever, but the mods for this game on PC are absolutely eye melting. They pretty people pretty much spent the you know the following five to how many years just improving the graphics to the point that uh, they were just yeah almost unrecognizable from the original in terms of their sort of uh, realism, photorealism, particle effects, weather effects. You know everything just like absolutely souped up to the max. Genuinely amazing stuff. I think there's one mod in particular. I can't. It's. I think it involves the word glass. 
can't quite remember. But uh, yeah, apparently it's a it's a sight to behold. I've only seen screenshots, but um, I think they gave GTA Four away on the PC when they launched the Rockstar online store recently for PC. Wow, that was ahead of Red Dead Redemption Two coming out, which is yeah out on PC imminently as you listen to this podcast, if not already. Now we have a piece from a game that another one that I've never played, and I'm going to guess David never played it either. Hunter the Reckoning? Yeah, no, sadly no. not. That's okay. But that's part of the fun of Sound of Play. Uh, we get uh, tracks from all over, and sometimes it'll be a piece that was uh, from a favourite of somebody that, uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, I'm sure it did fine, but um, not a household name, Hunter the Reckoning. But according to Bloody Initiate, our request are of the song of the tune um well obviously he was a fan he or she i should say don't know really sexy fight music which i believe plays when you start to get a high spree and also during a boss fight against a giant possessed teddy bear the fight itself isn't sexy i think the teddy bear vomits on you while you chainsaw him to death the music though you feel much cooler about being a hunter when you think this is what plays while you vanquish evil so the soundtrack is by Chad Portwine and or Tim Starzica and or Fred Love and or Coma, the band, presumably. Uh, this track is called Knuckle.
That's from a 2002 GameCube and Xbox title, Hunter the Reckoning. I guess we'll call that a deep cut, but uh, well worth sharing. Thank you, bloody initiate. Already mentioned Red Dead Redemption 2, and this follows up our previous Rockstar pick. David, you've requested this one. Now, um, I still haven't finished this game, and I believe this song, and it is a song this time, uh, comes right at the very, very, very end. I don't really consider it a spoiler. Some people might, um, but it's a yeah, it's a song that's in the game. That's all you need to know. But it doesn't. If we don't say too much about it, then it doesn't. No, I'll tread lightly. It suppose it more. It reflects another game in the series as much as anything. Anyway, this is called the house. Well, it's I've seen it put, uh, credited under various titles, but house building song seems to fit. Why did you pick this one, Dave? Well, again, without wanting to spoil. Anything for yourself or any other listener. Um, I found the timing of this uh, piece of music and the fact that you can interact with it and actually oh, assist okay. in the building of the house. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Cool. Spoiler alert. I should have flagged that up. No, no, no. That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. That's fine. I think. Basically, events unfold in the game. And uh, effectively, this is almost like post credits stuff in the sense that as you said, it kind of links up to another game in that uh, in that series, and mm-hmm. it's um, given that we are somewhat aware again of the events that will happen in another game in the series. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's quite a poignant piece because um, yes. essentially it is about family, whether that's immediate or the broader sense of uh, you know connecting to the Vanderling gang, which uh, several of the protagonists are are members of. Um, yep. It offers a sense of hope and just playfulness. And um, it's a really, really nice, almost like a palate cleanser mm-hmm. um, to everything that has happened previously yep. and the things that are about to happen.
let me have a rule and a saw and a board and I'll cut it. Climb up a ladder with a hammer and a nail and I'll nail it. Well, we worked so hard to build a little house together. In the snow or the rain or the ice cold wind, whenever. No matter. Any weather. We're together. That is a house building song, we're going to call it. Uh, I don't know if it, I think maybe it doesn't even appear on the OST or something, which is why it hasn't got an official name. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, composer is, uh, singer is David Fergie Ferguson. There you go. Something very different from an old timey country and western style number is some chip music. Of course, this is Sound of Play. Gingertastic01 from the Cana Rinse Forum says, A great Metroidvania with an incredible soundtrack. I bet you can't guess what it's going to be, though. Any track from this album would be fitting of sound of play. Enjoy. Yeah, this is from WayForward's tie-in to the, let's say, ill-fated and damp squip um, <laughs> The Mummy movie with Tom Cruise from a couple of years ago. Oh, yes. Yeah, I didn't see it because it looked like pants, but uh, I was actually interested in this game because I really like WayForward stuff, and I heard some of this soundtrack and I saw this game, and it looked pretty cool. I've yet to play it, but uh, hopefully it will come around cheap at some point. But yeah, The Mummy Demastered, and this is uh, by Monoma, or Monoma, who is also Gavin Allen, and it's called Arid Euphony.
2017's movie promotional title. Don't know if anyone played it. I don't know if anyone saw the movie, but The Mummy Demastered from WayForward. You can play that on all current gen machines. It came to Switch, uh, even though it was yeah, probably around launch time for Switch. Uh, but yes, cool stuff. Thank you, Gingertastic. Remember, listener, you can have your requests on the show too if you go over to the forum. As I've said, com slash forum. You could also poke us on Twitter. It used to be it was Facebook that you poked people on. I meant a metaphorical poke, not a capital P poke. Anyway, at Kane and Rince, use the hashtag sound of play if you like. Probably won't help you. Um, I don't know why I still say that. Nobody does it. Um, obviously, we do get requests in. You could also do it on our Facebook page. Send us a message on there, facebook.com slash Rince. You could even message us if you're already a patron. On our Patreon, there's a place you can uh, contact us on there. Do whatever you like, or even email us, podcast at canerince.com. Request a tune from your favourites, from the history of the video games medium. Not including tunes that were already massively famous in their own right, as in licensed songs. We can't really do that too often anyway. We've bent the rules. Uh, our playlist for each regular sound of play We'll include some of your requests. We'll occasionally do an all-request special as well. Please subscribe to this podcast if you don't already. really does help, as does leaving us an Apple podcast or iTunes review, or even just a rating out of five stars is great. Reviews actually count more in the algorithms that go on behind the scenes that elevate our status and visibility. It only takes a minute or two, and it does help us out. We also have other podcasts. We've already mentioned the Deep Dive Review podcast. That is Kane and Rince, which is how most people find us. But if you haven't listened, pick a game that you like or one that you really hated. Search it out at caneandrince.com and listen to the show and then agree or disagree along as 
you hear our opinions. Playwright on Thursdays is a really fun show where two of the Cane and Rinse team, Ryan and Ryan, come up with all new ideas for games. Sometimes really brilliant ones, annoyingly clever ones, and sometimes ones that just have silly pun titles. And on Fridays, Chris O'Regan interviews independent developers in the Sausage Factory. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And as I say, canarince.com for everything. Patreon.com slash canarince for the Patreon. A dollar a month or more gets you all the extras as it stands, which includes early releases, extended releases, exclusive monthly bonus podcasts and three month early format special podcasts. Right. Before we go into your last track, uh, thanks, David, for joining me on your birthday of all days. Thank you for having me, Leon. I'm greatly privileged to uh, have the <laughs> chance to share my, my birthday with you. Oh, and thanks for all your uh, support on uh, social media and stuff over the time and your contributions to the blog. Uh, do you want to tell people about your availability on the internet? Uh, you don't have to, but you can if you want. I'm happy to give out my Twitter. It's uh, David. Uh, it's at David Rush, R-U-S-H-E. And um, I'm over on Instagram at D underscore R-U-S-H-E and on PSN, uh, D Rush again, 1983. Oh, okay. And uh, mainly quite a lot of political tweets. Oh, yes. Uh, although I am trying to take a step back from that, but every now and again, I can't help myself. That's all right. I've, I've, I find myself agreeing with you most of the time, well, pretty much all of the time. So mm. uh, preaching to the choir, but th- isn't, that the, isn't that the problem after all? Uh, yes, indeed <laughs> it is. Indeed it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of that. Yeah, hard. it's hard to know what to do. Anyway. Just play games. Just, just play, play games. Video games. Just get exactly. out. Just, yeah. Um, exactly. Completely apolitical ones, of course, because uh, that's course. what we want, right? None of this SJW nonsense. None of that. <laughs> Snowflakey <laughs> nonsense at all. <laughs> Some good old non-political games like Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots, right? Indeed. Indeed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So this is a game we covered some, some, some years ago, and you mentioned mm-hmm. that podcast series. I think that's probably the one that people tell us that they revisit the most. Um, mm. I don't know if that means we've never topped it. I think it's probably more to do with the content of the games than the podcasts themselves, but... Yeah, we covered this one back in issue 49, which was our first year still, 2011-12 times. So we might even have a different take on it now in the same way that uh, art and written the written word changes in perspective over time. Our look at Guns of the Patriots might change now. We, I can't even remember. I know we'd already, I guess we'd already done Peace Walker uh, because I remember us having some, that was probably a, First time that um, people who don't like p- political chat or basically they don't want, you know, people to tell them that they can't have booby ladies in their games. I'm <laughs> talking about the uh, the gross uh, photography game, mini game in Peace Walker. I can't remember if we can't remember if there are any similar such issues in Metal Gear Solid 4. But obviously with a Kojima game, there's a lot of interesting stuff as well. So certainly. Um, you were already a big Kojima fan. You were following the series and this one came out and it was a big deal for you. It was, yeah. I mean, my um, gaming history obviously shifted from Amiga to PC and then to PlayStation. And whilst I know Canon Rince is somewhat um, platform agnostic, I sadly, am, I sadly am not. I'm a diehard um, PlayStation person. And um, I've 
pretty much um i picked up metal gear solid one on the playstation one at the recommendation of a friend and after playing that i fell in love with the game and again was impressed at what games could effectively be from gameplay storytelling music sound cinematics and effectively every um purchase that i would make following that was in many respects dictated by the eventual presence of a new metal gear solid game so Mm. i bought the playstation 2 knowing that a sequel was on its way and i saved up a lot of money um for the ps3 um to purchase the well what we believed would be the final entry in the metal gear solid series and who knew he would find four more stories to tell after that but um yeah it's uh it's a really really good kind of uh ending to that narrative uh, solid snakes narrative and mm-hmm. obviously the supporting cast and I, whilst it is incredibly baggy and long yeah. um it does make he does make obviously his best effort to try and tie everything up neatly in a series that he never anticipated would would have um i suppose spread at the rate that it did over so many oh. decades yeah. um but this um piece of music in many respects i think was composed as a means to reflect the intention of metal gear solid 4 which was to celebrate that the end of that story um and throughout the game or throughout that piece of music excuse me when you listen to it i'm immediately transported to visual imagery um from metal mm. gear solid 2 or the in particular the bike chase at the end of metal gear solid 3 with um, with volgan oh, yeah. and obviously the the epic final fight with um uh, liquid ocelot on top of the uh, of the on top of the boat um and what stands out for me as well about that piece of music is a criticism leveled at kojima you know because he is without he he is unfortunately he does have his faults oh yeah that a lot of his um choice of music in many respect is designed as such for uh, trailers or montages right. and okay, and yeah, yeah. i think in in essence this piece of music is 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 a perfect example of that because the first third of this track um mm. formed the basis for i think it was the metal gear solid legacy collection which came out um uh-huh. which featured all the games and i think two graphic novels by ashley wood um mm, right and you can when you listen to it you can kind of see how that plays into that um, accusation against him that the music is primarily done for short um, trailers or short little montages, and but it's still a fantastic piece of music. Even if that is, even if there's a grain of truth in that, it's still a fantastic right. music. Perfect. Okay, David. Well, thanks very much for bringing your selections along, and uh, thank you for being with me and listening to the show and all that stuff. And happy rest of birthday. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. And we will leave the listener with the Metal Gear Saga piece, sweet, maybe, by Norihiko Hibino from Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots. And we'll see you, sort of, next time on Sound of Play. <laughs>